0: Ex machina. Ex machina. Ex machina.
1: Welcome to Season 3 of Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, a podcast series dedicated to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a variety of media and focused on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors on how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. Following our previous episode, Anessa Kemna and I further developed an intro to rhetoric course built around service learning. In this episode, we discuss our experiences with that class, ranging from the process and benefits of co-development, the new ideas we implemented this semester, like the field journal or service map of the city, and considerations we're making for the coming semester. Hello, I'm Byron Gilman Hernandez, here with the final episode of season three of Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina. And with me today is Anessa Kemna. Hello. And we're here today to talk about a class we co-developed over the semester, but Anessa, if you'd like to give the introduction.
2: Okay, great, Thanks. Um, so yeah, we're here to talk about um, the service learning component of 1900 that Byron and I developed together over this year.
1: And building off what you worked on in the last episode, mm-hmm. uh, yes. which was recorded, of course, last semester
2: yeah, <laughs>
1: over a subject that happened a year ago.
2: Yes. Uh, so the first iteration of this course happened in spring of 2017, and that was run solo uh, by just me. And then Byron expressed interest in in getting involved in that, and so the two of us co-developed um, a sort of double teaching format of that service learning course that we ran this past semester, which is fall of 2018.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it's been, I don't know, I just think it's just been a great experience and oh, pretty big success, and I'm really excited to be continuing this into the next semester, but getting ahead of myself. Um, let's start by talking a little bit about the co-development aspect, mm-hmm. um, because I first I was the one working the uh, microphones when you were being interviewed by Colton. Right. And that's where I got, like, kind of interested in hearing about it. And I don't remember the exact process that was followed through there, but I do remember we had a couple of meetings this summer. Um, and do you remember any of the things from your perspective on the whole planning aspect?
2: Yeah. Um, so over the summer, Byron and I got together a few times, um, and I sort of ran through my basic syllabus for the course, how I had set up the service learning, how I'd structured it, how I'd scaffolded the assignments. Um, and then we looked at how we could make that work for us as a two-person team instead of a solo run course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also benefited from my successes as well as my absolute failures in the in the first running of the course, you know, because things always take a few runs to... Uh...
1: That was something listening to the podcast I kind of forgot about is... Um, <laughs> that at the start of the semester like one of the big advice you gave uh, me and we were really leaning hard charging on is making sure students got to their field sites really fast yep and oh boy yeah like i thought like i fought you on that a lot because i wanted to do my usual first paper i didn't want to like give them another week don't it doesn't need to be second week make a decision like give them some time but, man, like, no. yeah, it was, it was the right idea. <laughs>
2: yeah. So in doing this, um, you always want to get going super fast. And I learned this the hard way the first time. And Byron learned this because I forced him to um, learn from my mistakes. Uh, the first time I ran this course, I gave them until about week four to pick a site. I wanted to get to know them. I wanted to work on, you know, a couple other skill sets before we got going. And it was a huge disaster because... Inevitably, students will have trouble finding sites. Students will switch. Uh, students will decide that that's not what they wanted to do. And so, jumping that gun early. Uh... Mm-hmm.
1: And I definitely had a couple field sites where it just wasn't working out. Like, it was just like mm-hmm. they kept rescheduling, or it's just quickly turning into just this whole like email tag. And oh man, yeah, I can start started yeah. sooner.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. this is something that we sort of learned um, is that it's very difficult for specifically freshman students because they're dealing with a lack of transportation generally, and they're also dealing with organizations that don't tend to take them super seriously. Mm. Um, they, you know, they won't return phone calls because what do they have to lose? They won't, you know, they won't engage with them properly. They won't keep schedules, and so giving the students the best sort of leg up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're recording this the day after our service showcase, um, which <laughs> is an experience. Um, when very, a good experience, very good, but mm-hmm. it's a little overwhelming. Um, next week, I'll be re- receiving my students uh, completed. I had them. Um, we kind of. De- this is one of the parts for the development over the summer to elaborate on was to have our students keep more rigorous field journals. And I'm really looking forward to seeing um, their final journals of their experiences there because uh, seeing them at the midterm level. I definitely saw what you're talking about with some of them, their field sites don't respect them, or you know, they're having difficulties with. I did see a lot where they just some students just really made good connections. Mm-hmm. Some of them already had good connections. But actually, the other big thing I thought was kind of the big difference that you mentioned, student transportation.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that was something I don't recall if we talked that much about planning wise. I think we did because I remember us thinking being a little like, are they all going to be in a tight knot around SLU Mm -hmm. or are they going to go out there?
2: And that's essentially that's part of letting them. So I actually I had forgotten that I mentioned this in the last episode uh, because it was recorded a year ago. Um, It's not a year. (laughs) Fine, two semesters. Um, Something I forgot I mentioned was that if I did a themed course, I would try to tailor the service learning towards the theme. Um, I did not end up trying to do that, A, because I am very intent on making sure that students are working with something they are specifically passionate about, but also because the more open the options are, the less likely we are to run into transportation problems, because mm-hmm. they can find a site at SLU if they don't have transportation, and if they do, mm-hmm. they can go further afield.
1: Yeah, and that was actually the other sort of one of the big developments I wanted to bring to it was um, so in terms of my uh, uh, like a themed course, I had conflict, social justice, and rhetoric, which I felt lent itself much more nicely and easily to a service learning course. Mm-hmm. But Anessa, you had, what was it?
2: I had nature and ecology.
1: And I remember we were talking about it, and this is where kind of like I was really big on the idea of creating the service map, where all of our students would have their field sites, they'd give a location, we'd put like a pin in a map, um, and we could attach to it sort of an audio project. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you normally have your students do podcasts. And I was interested in that from a sort of an ecological perspective of just kind of taking a look at the city and my theming towards this course and i don't think i remember sharing my concept with you i don't think you used it unless i misremember. but the idea of sounding out the city
2: yeah um i didn't end up using it and honestly that was partially just because things happen the semester gets a little bit crazy and... oh no
1: i just meant like i didn't yeah. think we were like because we were still as we were co-developing it our classes had our own syllabi mm-hmm. and our own particular approach and deadlines and yeah we, honestly different assignments at some point yeah um, we
2: actually we structured things very differently despite co-teaching which i think mm-hmm. is one of the great things about co-teaching this course is at least the way we've done it um <clears throat> we've still left sort of plenty of space for individual teaching styles because byron mm-hmm. and i teach very differently um and we should so, the, you know, it's not a co-teaching that sort of stifles.
1: And that was actually one of the big, like, so like I was saying with you, like, you know, as like one of our initial, like, fight neon things was at what week should they already have their field site picked out? And I wanted to push it a little bit later because I have, I always use, um, and this is, I believe, a season two episode of Eloquentia Perfecta. I don't know the number exactly, but uh, the... Um, Oh, what's it called? Language um, Community. Yeah, the Language communities assignment. Thank you for remembering the thing I teach every semester <laughs> since I've been here. Um, the Language communities assignment, which I like to start with a week on like that and get that together. And so I'd get that paper out of the way. Um, and so it was kind of an interesting experience for me with the co-teaching of having – I liked it because it's – by adding like the service learning element, it kind of knocked me out of my usual rhythm. Like, I was doing something new and different, and I really enjoyed that. But I also, liked with the co-teaching, like, I was sending you my um, writing, the prompts for my major writing assignments. Mm-hmm. And we were actually kind of talking out sort of our ideas for, like, how we wanted to time together. And it was really – it was an interesting way of, like, kind of opening up my class and changing it up. And there were definitely, like I said, some points of contention, most of which I think – In retrospect, I can acknowledge you were probably in the right on. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, But uh, it was definitely an interesting experience to kind of open up my work like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: When I had a very different, because a a lot of times, because Byron writes really great assignment sheets, um, and so a lot of my time this semester was looking at what he'd sort of produced and adapting it for my specific class's needs. Um, But it was really great pedagogically to be able to sort of get a look at how someone else built an actual assignment sheet because we don't actually get to see that very often um, and that was really helpful for me mm-hmm. and again to get input from someone who was sort of on my same playing field from not an instructor uh, not our, not my boss um, but someone else who was sort of down in the trenches with me as well.
1: And a whole lot of meetings of like <laughs> especially with the showcase like the how do you think this is going to go We have no, like, credible reason to think anything might happen. So anything could happen.
2: Um, um, I was actually wondering really quick if you would give us, because you formalized this a lot more than I did. um, mm -hmm. Would you talk just for a minute about your field journals that you did?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I actually kind of got this um, idea partially from uh, Dr. Nathaniel Rivers. At the end of his multimedia composition course I took as like a is a 4,000 level summer course I kind of took because I wanted to get more experience working with things like the microphones we're using right now Um, and at the end of that course we were worked in groups to produce podcasts and he required us to create um, sort of a journal of for group work what your contribution was so I had done an interview with um, the archivist at SLU and I had done the audio editing of bringing all of our, what do you call it, pieces, um, the various audio clips we recorded together. And so I created, at the end of the semester, I had to create like a journal that was like, here's my assessment of what I did at each point in the semester. And then here's some screenshots of, I took like some screenshots of my notes from the John Wade interview. I did a screenshot of the audio editing, the Audacity setup. And it was just sort of uh One, so it was like a group project, so it was like who deserves credit, who is the slacker type deal. But I think more so what I liked about it was being attentive to my own process. And I had kind of done it in the class as sort of a – it was at the end of the semester, retrospective, look back at what you did, um, sum that up. But I thought it was like just as a good academic move to take, like, you know, um, so I asked my Mm -hmm. students to be taking notes on their, when they visited their field sites, when they were working with their organizations. And I was like, take as much detail as possible. Um, Anything that involves working with your field site, and that includes, you know, sending emails, making phone calls, having questions. Um, I required them to do an interview as one of their sources because I really wanted this course to be sort of, like that sounding out the city to really encourage attentive rhetoric that I wanted them to be attentive to their field site. Like, like you said at the last um, uh, episode, the issue of we don't want this sense of slew students charging force from the bubble here to fix the problems of the city. We want them to go out there, see what there is and listen and be attentive and I felt that was important. That was the whole idea of the sounding project for our maps, like these audio files from it, um, making them do the interview. But I also wanted them to be attentive to their, to themselves, to be paying attention to what they're paying attention to, um, and to stop taking, like, for granted, like, you know, I went there and I looked and here's my memory of how things went. I wanted them to, like, be in the moment and take notes if you've, they've got something they've got like as handouts or anything you could do to scan into your field journal at the end of the semester, take that in. So we've got this much more attentive process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And mine were a lot less formal, and that's something I would adapt to more Byron's style in the future. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, if we're already going to start talking about things we learned that we might do differently, um, I definitely think with the field journals, I, I, I checked in on them at midterm where they're supposed to already make one visit. And have already set up their field site. And then now I'm going to see them again next week. Biggest change I'd make is be way more on the ball. Regular updates with their field sites. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a lot more work. But at the same time, I think just having these kind of journals. Just just so I know like.
2: What's going on.
1: Yeah. Like I tried to make it really clear to my students. Like keep me in the loop. Like the reason we start early is because everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But I was like trying to like tell students you know keep me in the loop keep me in the loop but you know how they are yeah. they're not like it's it's gonna be i should have told you a week ago but because i didn't tell you monday i felt really anxious about contacting you on tuesday and because i didn't tell you tuesday now i'm two days behind and if i just was doing more like scheduled check-ins mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah and i think that's important and i think you can sort of gauge that by your class um i know mine definitely needed the check-ins more than i gave them mm-hmm. um And timing contributed a lot to that, too. I've been teaching the 8 a.m. course, and that sort of created its own special set of problems. I am
1: really interested in the fact that we both had two courses that I would call kind of extraordinary. Like, so um, one thing I'd also say is that, like, you know, with building this service map and putting all of our student projects on the map, I thought it really illustrated sort of one of the key differences between our course. And I feel like as later more dots came in, it became less Visible, But I think you could still tell that your class had cars. Mm. Not all of them, but more of them. Or were more familiar with the city. And my class had a much more constrained range of motion as a result. And I was really interested in that. But like I was saying, in terms of our classes being extraordinary or not, you had an 8 a.m. class. Yes. Students who take 8 a.m. classes, I've heard two, like opposite experiences people who love 8am classes it's like the students in 8am classes are all morning people so they're all chipper and up and it's great (laughs) and i've also heard students in 8am classes registered late
2: (laughs) and i think Mm -hmm. that maybe a fall versus spring Mm. confusion because in in fall they rarely have a choice which section they end up in because we're so full uh they get registered so late and so uh they're they're taking what they can get. This batch, they did their, you know, they were not best, best. their level best. I did my level best, but none of us were morning people. (laughs) And that included me, I will cop to that, absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, Um, and my class, due to a, um, there was a mix up in uh, the uh, uh, computer systems or wherever, and nobody could register for my class. Until, like, middle of the summer when I was like, I don't think my class should have zero people. They opened it up. They opened it up the day before one of the days where the incoming freshmen visit SLU, take a tour, and see how it works. So my course went from zero to 20 in an hour. <laughs> they were all incoming freshmen. And I had, like, I think two drop and a student, one student who's a senior, come in but I had a class that was almost entirely new to college. Like 18 out of 19, this was their very first semester in college.
2: Same.
1: Yeah, and it just um, was a really striking experience. I think yeah, both of us had classes that were not what, like if you ask like a generic English 1900 course, we didn't have those. Yeah. And I'm kind of interested in like sort of the ways our classes played out differently. Mm-hmm. And, like, so we talked a bit about how our teaching styles differ, our approaches differ. And I talked about, like, so I saw on the map that my students had less of a, a range of travel. Do you feel there's anything you noticed between my class and your class that you think student-wise?
2: Um, I I honestly think that a lot of it was just I think it was possible that more of my students ended up with vehicles um, to get around. Um, now, I didn't get a chance to socialize with a ton of your students in the way that you got to talk to mine. But I think it's just maybe an option of how we put... And I, I don't know exactly the answer to this either. Um, I think it may be a matter of how and what angles we took to push the selection of the service site. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because that's... And you can see this. I think we'll be attaching a link to the service map here to the podcast. But you can see that my students were much more doubled up Um, because we put as a rule no no more than two people could go to the same site and i think i may have ended up encouraging the doubling up so you could travel together so you can be like you know not on your own
2: and i underhandedly discouraged it
1: yeah and i think it was it was really interesting because you've got um a much we had more diverse sites we also kind of had more diverse sites in terms of topics Mm -hmm. i mean i could do like the actual math and crunching it so i can't speak like so authoritatively. But I only had one student who was working with animals or pets, um, like uh, Humane Society. I think you had three.
2: Uh, two, I believe. Two. Yeah.
1: Um, and then you had a couple of ecological field mm-hmm. sites that I don't think I had any. Mm-hmm. And my my field sites were much more focused towards education and the homeless. And I feel yours were much more focused towards uh, medicine and... Um, and I think ecology, nature and ecology. Yes, yeah, i was going
2: to say medicine in the city, I think. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of biomed students, like mm. a shocking amount of biomed students. So, mm-hmm. And our, our med students here are required to do a lot of service learning. And so I think they, they took to it very well. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that was something I learned is that I didn't know this as a graduate student here on my you know, fourth year at SLU. I didn't know we had a reputation for service um, as a university. Um, We had that clock trying to do 200 years of service in one year for our bicentennial. And we apparently met 200 years of service in a year. How, I don't know. But I think, yeah, leaning into that for next semester to really, like, Mm -hmm. students who already have their field sites. Um, I had one who was a nursing student, my, my senior, who had to go to her, like, regular field site. But she ended up going to a different one. Which was interesting um, for for this class that she settled on.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and I know uh-huh. a lot of our again a lot of our med students that they have sites like you said. Um, a lot of our athletes have service learning requirements.
1: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And there are service learning um, learning communities mm-hmm. at SLU, um, but they have their own courses, so we were uh, not connected with that. But I think they actually showed up to the showcase. And actually, now that we're brought it up. Let's talk about the showcase. Let's talk about last night.
2: (laughs) Let's talk about the chaos. Um, So to give a quick summary, when I ran this course by myself, uh, we did a showcase. We did it on the last week of classes. Um, I told my students to invite people, but it was late. Um, It was late in the semester. It was just them. We just did it in a classroom in DePere. And it was really interesting, and I still really think it had value, but compared to what happened last night, it was pretty sad. Um, we had about 10 guests, 10 to 15 guests, filter in and out throughout the hour that we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just provided some some donuts and things like that. Um, and it was a very small, very sort of clicky, clicky showcase that I, I don't feel like incorporating. And
1: I think yeah. a lot of our planning from, like, literally from the summer was, like, how can we avoid that? Yes, and, our and strategy. I, I have
2: no I have no shame in saying that, you know, a lot of this course was planned around what did Anessa do wrong the first time uh, and learning from those mistakes.
1: And I'm sure next semester will be what did we both do wrong. <laughs> but uh, no, um, but we really kind of had like coming into this that we wanted to make like make sure there was a floor. So we decided to have it that we'd have one class go first. And be up for an hour and have required the other class to be there as an audience. So we'd have a, at minimum, 20 people will pass through, about 20 people will pass through um, and have to be there. And then we'll flip. And so we had a a nice floor there and set that as such. And then we like promoted it to the department.
2: And we were over in the Bush Student Center this time, not just in the Pair Classroom. BSC.
1: Um, We were in one of those rooms that can be subdivided into four separate rooms. And we used three of the four rooms. Um, for setup. And then we were like, we offered students extra credit if they got a friend to show up. And to, we have like in their sign-in sheet, we had their, they'd sign in their names. And then if they had a friend, they'd sign in as well. And, oh my God, I can't. I, we were talking, like, I was like, students take extra credit, like extra credit options, especially end of semester. They'll gun for them. But I was not expecting... I think literally every single one of my students brought someone. I think we had the same in your class.
2: And I I don't know if they they came, but I had two of my students tell me they were going to invite their entire learning community to come.
1: I would believe we had nearly 90 people pass through. Mm -hmm. We ordered, and uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Lynch and the English department um, and the writing program for letting (laughs) us use the departmental credit card for this, but we bought 12 medium Domino's pizzas. Um, on, like, there's, like, a $6 medium pizza deal. And we were, like, chalking up cheats to stretch them out, like, you know, square cut them. They got... Demolished. Yeah. We ultimately went through about... We we ordered more pizza midway through. We went through, like, 29 pizzas.
2: Yeah. It like, was... It was... The first... Watching the first 12 disappear was like watching the locusts descend God. from the plagues. <laughs> uh, it was insane. Within the first mm-hmm. 10 minutes or so, we were... Three fourths of the way out of all the pizza we'd bought.
1: We had a huge turnout. We had so many people pass through. And it was, in a way, it was just like kind of like all of a sudden, that was like one of the big things to change for next year is like figuring out a way to work with. Like we were just spending so much time thinking of how to figure out what to do when there's not enough people. And we were completely caught off guard of what to do when all of a sudden there's 40 people all around me and I'm trying to do setup, and oh dear, oh dear. yeah, <laughs> Tell them where to go and...
2: Well, and, and, the, and the difficult problem is, and I think we're going to face this in the future, is there is no way to guarantee what kind of crowd you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't remember, to be honest, if I offered extra credit to my students the first time, but there were only 16 of them or so. So even if they'd brought people, if everyone brought someone, it would still have been a very small crowd. But this time, like I said, we offered the extra credit. We had forty kids, well, close to forty kids, just built in. And so I think having that double up for the showcase makes all the difference, and then it encourages more invites. But it's it's such a difficult thing to quantify because if you end up with a class where they're all real quiet and don't have a ton of friends, it's going to change your change your outcome for showcase. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, yeah, but, uh, I mean, I was just, I was completely blown away. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting, no. like...
2: And it it didn't really die down. We had some ebbs and flows through the event. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, obviously the first crush was insane. I was a little afraid that halfway through we were going to lose everybody who didn't mm-hmm. want to stay for two hours. We did not. We still, when we packed up, we still probably had 50 people in there.
1: Yeah, and it was... It was yeah. It was <laughs> I don't even know how to say other than like <laughs> it was yeah. Um and I was um we brought a few people, friends of ours, to go around and tell us what they thought of uh the projects and whatnot. And I gotta say, like, you know, I um we, we like we said, we did this you said you did this because you wanted um projects that, you know, um, that these were issues like students would care about. Mm-hmm. That we'd get projects that weren't, and I was really interested in this because I am used to grading a lot of very competently done, very, like, good student work, but it's very ethereal. Like, they did their work, they did the job, they produced the project, but it's not something they've got, like, much of a connection to. Passionless. Yeah, and so it's like they did, like, all the work, but here students knew who they were working for, knew what they were working with some of them were really invested Mm -hmm. in like their organization's success. And I just, yeah, some of them just really just, there's like a ton of people there and I was blown away by the quality of the work. And I'm hoping that by having so many people there that we actually did make some connections that some organizations will see, you know, um, some of our uh, visitors show up for.
2: Yeah. It's a very humbling experience. Um, You know, I think, we spend so much time as teachers sort of often, if not actively underestimating our students, just sort of assuming that they will rise to what they need to rise to and know more and doing things like the showcase, like the service learning project, just
0: mm-hmm.
2: bring an absolutely new perspective. It's a, it, you get to see what happens when you unleash a student on something that in theory they can be really passionate about and the results are just staggering.
1: Yeah. And it's one of the things I really liked about – I did, like, conferencing with my students the week before the showcase, so last week. And I just remember talking to a lot of them where they'd be, like, talking about their – what their rhetoric projects were going to look like, like, posters or their video or whatnot. And I just remember, like, kind of talking to them about some stuff, and I was like – just think about like I can't I, I won't and because of the size of the crowd I wasn't actually able to get close enough to a lot of my students to really like critically grade it I'm like the point of your rhetoric project is what you're going to be standing in front of when you're presenting to our crowds and I was like think about who like don't try to impress me don't try to produce this will pass an English course work think about what do you want to say when one of your peers is in front of you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, because that's real rhetoric. Yep. That's like, actually, we're thinking about the time and the place and the audience. And I'm like, yep. it's not just, well, I will use ethos and pathos and logos, and I will go through the three of them. It's Yeah. what will appeal, like, what are the available means of persuasion to the audience you have? And, yeah. and
2: I think that means, you know, We sort of did a trade-off a little bit. You know, a lot of our students, one of the places they fell short was in use of concrete sources. You know, a lot of them were sort of not hitting the data points that we would have really wanted for an actual project. And yet, they still, I think, got an understanding of rhetoric because a lot of them, even if the data was not where it should have been, they still were working on building a project that communicated with their audience of SLU students. And I feel like... Watching the presentations, watching the way they connected with their crowd, it was easy to see that they got that. They may have missed some of the technical, but they got what they were they got how to communicate with an audience using rhetoric
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I just you know, um, I'm just really glad you know, from last semester first hearing this and starting the whole yeah, you know, I can give it a shot, you know, I'm teaching the conflict and social justice seems relevant and then like having a couple meetings for like how we can plan this out and I was like in the back of my head I was like and if it doesn't seem like if it seems like a lot of work you can just back out do the usual thing and I'm just really glad that you know I went out I we we did this that I'm really (laughs) glad it it changed my approach to the class it changed my I think my students approach to the class Mm -hmm. and oh man, next semester we're going to have so many things we're going to be doing differently and yes. so much. And I'd like to invite um, you know, other people who might be listening to this, um, people at SLU who might be interested uh, in this next semester in the future of working with us. Um, people who are not at SLU are interested in including a service learning um, element into their courses. Um, I just think it really, I think it was it was just a really useful tool. I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of things I got out of it that I wanted. I think there's even more you could get out of it if you just knew what you were looking for.
2: Yeah, it's it's a great experience. It, a great experience. It changes your relationship with your students. It changes how you look at the course. It changes how you run it. Um, even if you just try it once and don't do it again, it's an eye-opening experience no matter what. And I, I highly encourage people to, to give it a shot because A, again, it gives you that new perspective on the class like Byron's talking about and it also just lets us do some concrete good in the communities that we live in. Um, you know, we as as instructors, as students, we we exist in St. Louis and don't tend to get to make a huge impact outside of school, and this is a chance to step out and do that. Mm-hmm. And it it's 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 re, no matter how well or poorly it goes, coming out the other side of it, it still ends up being rewarding.
1: All right. Yeah. Well, Nessa, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me in again. And
1: thank you for all the help with developing this course, and <laughs> well, I guess uh, now it's on to planning for next semester. So let's pencil that in yeah. <laughs> into our schedules.
2: Absolutely. All
1: right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good day. <laughs>
0: Perfected ex machina. Eloquentia perfected ex machina.